All right, well, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our next guest on the show. He's been an absolute fixture in AFL journalism for over 30 years. Rowan Connolly, thanks so much for joining us, mate. How are you going? Uh, good, Tim. Uh, pleasure to be on. Uh, podcasting is the the way of the future, isn't it? I, I do a fair few of them, so I uh, thought, why not one more? No, nah, really appreciate your time, mate. And yeah, as you said, you've been around the traps for a while and seen uh, all forms of media, how it's progressed over the years. And yeah, you're keeping well on top of that with, with your various podcasts and uh, online media empires as well that you're bringing up. And yeah, people will know from your time at The Age and 3OW and SEM, but you've recently in the last five years created your own footy, uh, well, kind of media empire in, in footyology. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's not just footy anymore. No, it's a pretty small empire. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, footyology, I started, um, I, I took a voluntary redundancy from The Age uh, a bit over four years ago. And um I basically just created a website for myself uh, called Footyology. The Footyology name already existed because Mark Fine and myself um, did a, a TV show on C31, the community channel called Footyology, the year before. So I wanted to keep that going. But basically just set up a, a, uh, a website to, to run my own stuff. Um, so I got a few freelance writing gigs and I – the arrangements were always that I could republish stuff on my own website. And then we started doing the podcast out of the TV show. Um, and then I, it, it just, it, there was never any sort of grand scheme or anything. I, I certainly, a few people said to me, oh, you're trying to become the next Hutchie or something. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I, um, you know, I just wanted to keep doing what I was doing and that sort of allowed me to do it. Um, and I've always been interested in, multimedia stuff too you know podcasting and blogs and and video and and you know it's all part of the future and a lot like to think I've embraced that so I started doing a few more things and just trying stuff and seeing what worked and what didn't um and then gradually you know I took on a few more people to to write and then uh probably yeah a bit over a year ago I, I just started thinking look I'm I'm interested in other stuff you know like i for anyone stupid enough to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm a pretty voracious tweeter and I tend to tweet a lot about politics, which gets me into trouble, and uh, a fair bit about music and and whatever. And, I, you know, look, I like to think I've got other interests. So I just started thinking, you know, why not just sort of expand it to, to have a few more different areas? And it's just sort of it, it has grown a fair bit in the last year or so. So we now do we do a few other sports, but we also do um, music, movies, TV, politics, a uh, bit of social commentary. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have some really good people come on board. You know, we've got writers of quality, Martin Flanagan, um, Angela Pippos, uh, Shelley Ware, um, and I've picked up some really good people along the way too you know people who people might not have known but who I think have really sort of grown in into a, a, an important place in the footyology scheme of things and they're people like or Ronnie Lerner's another journal I think people would know and Ronnie's been fantastic for footyology um but also uh a guy called Andrew Gardner writes politics for me um, you know, a lot of people have sent me stuff and if I think it's good enough, I'm happy to run it. So 
it, it's, um, I, I guess it's a bit, it's certainly independent media. And, and look, it's hard to keep it going, to be honest, financially. It's not cheap. I reckon I've, in fact, I'd shudder to think how much of my own money I've poured into it over the last four years. But I, just recently, we've been able to pick up a little bit of sponsorship and whatnot too. And um, But yeah, it's, it's real by the bootstraps stuff. So anyone listening to this, and if you've checked out Footyology or if you're going to check it out and you like it, please um, feel free to become an official Footyology patron. You can do that through Patreon. Um, and uh, we're asking people for $7 Australian a month. But, you know, we've never put anything behind a, a paywall or, um, you know, I, I sort of pe- I believe in the, the principle of sort of having everyone being able to access this stuff. But I guess in return we ask for, a, well, what essentially is a donation. And fortunately, you know, enough enough people have come to the party. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with what how it's gone the last 12 months. I feel like we've grown. I feel like we do provide a decent sort of alternative to mainstream media. And I think more and more people are starting to realise we probably need that too because mainstream media, well, I seem to spend half my life banging on about it, but it's certainly got its issues these days in various ways. So, um, yeah, that's gee, that was a ramble, wasn't it? That's about it. But, um <laughs> I'm pretty busy, it's fair to say. I've got a fair bit on my plate these days. Yeah, no, I can absolutely agree with that and, and yeah, understand where you're coming from. But, no, it's a fantastic achievement. And I think, you know, after spending so long in, in the field, I suppose, being solely sports, it must be nice to, as you said, kind of trying to explore some other avenues as well too because, as you said, you know, you've got plenty of interests and it would be nice to in, really include a multitude of different things. And, yeah, independent media is huge and, that's right. I think at the moment, especially when a lot of people are spending so much more time on their devices and phones, especially at the right at this very second, it's yeah, it's important that I suppose people are getting their their news and they're keeping up to date with things from a from a variety of different sources. Yeah, look, one one thing that's funny about it, I, I guess this has sort of come through Twitter as much as anything, but I always notice if you know political journos or news journos or whatever start tweeting something about the footy, no one ever says stick to politics or stick to news reporting. But if, if I if I tweet about anything other than footy, someone somewhere will bob up and say, stick to sport or stay in your lane. And, you know, I, I've sort of made a, a joke of it. Um, occasionally I tell them to piss off or <laughs> F, FRO, which has become a bit of a, a trademarked um, phrase of mine. You can work out yourself what that stands for. But, <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Like, people think if you write about football, you can't express a, an opinion about anything else. And as much as I love footy, and I do, and I still love it, fortunately, I'm, I've always had a healthy interest in politics. I love my music, you know, just as much as I love footy. Some would say my taste in music is as unbearable as my taste in football terms, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I love movies. I love TV. Uh, just watched The Sopranos recently. That was a I only got onto that about twenty years too late. But yeah, so that was good. I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was going to bring it up a bit later, but I saw your your little uh, nod to it in your article about um, about the draw the other yeah. day, and and yeah. yeah, I really really enjoyed the comparison that you made there. But yeah, oh, you're right. Social media, I mean, it's it's there for a reason. It's there to give everybody a voice. So it's 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 pretty, I suppose, ironic that people 
have turn around and have a go at you for having a voice when that platform's exactly what that's been provided for. So. Well, uh, you know, just uh, coincidentally or pro- probably not coincidentally, it tends to be uh, the people whose politics don't sort of align with yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's always going to be there's always going to be that forum, and there's always going to be someone that there that doesn't agree with with anything, regardless whether it's about footy, politics, or or all the Sopranos in that sense. <laughs> but uh, moving to footy, and, and I suppose given the current state of it at the moment, it was funny. I was reading uh, one of the articles last week about the Premiership potentially staying in in Victoria, about about the teams that are vying vying up there, and there was one line that. That stood out to me, especially reading it uh, recently. That said, Victoria is relatively COVID-free, and you think about how seven days can change everything so bloody quickly. I mean, this whole chaos this week with the fixturing, and I, I think you have to give it to the AFL. It's pretty impressive the way that that they've been able to manoeuvre games, like clubs and stuff, have been just fluid in the way that fixtures can change so easily. I mean. It's probably fair to say that this year seems more interrupted than last year, only given that last year it was the hubs and everybody sort of knew where they were standing, whereas this year we've gone from normality backwards, you know, we've gone from trying to get 75, 85% into crowds to no crowds. Like it's, it's, it must be absolute turmoil for probably all people involved uh, at the moment to see how, how fixturing is taking place, especially in the business end of the season. Yeah, well, I don't think I've ever written a piece that has been made as redundant as quickly as that one was. I mean, it was it was remarkable, you know. Like, it just, you know, two days later, everything I said was basically rubbish because um, it was sort of founded on the premise that we were going to be, the, you know, the Queensland of 2021 and it's all up in the air. And, yeah, look, I, I do think, you know, we don't praise them often, but I think the AFL does deserve a fair bit of credit for what they're doing at the moment because uh, in a lot of ways it's it's a more tenuous situation than last year. I mean, last year it was early in the piece. We had an idea when we'd be starting. Um, once it did start, it was fairly consistent. You know, things didn't change dramatically. Whereas now, you know, it, it's sort of getting closer to the, the pointy end of the season. Um, you've had, you know, two more states go into lockdown. Or, in fact, is there quickly changed? Might even be four states now in lockdown. I, uh, WA's yeah, tightening um... up now as well. But, you know, just games being switched literally at the last minute. We did our footyology podcast yesterday and we're running through the games to preview and, you know, we're previewing two games and we don't know where they're going to be or when they're going to be, you know, that sort of stuff. So... Uh, it's a logistical nightmare for them, really. And, um, you know, I, th- I think the fact that we've got, well, s- to this stage anyway, we've, we've had full rounds. I mean, uh, you've got to be grateful for that. But, look, to be honest, the way the, the last few days have gone, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they just halted for a, at least a week, if not two. And that's why they're trying to get as many games as they can out of the way as quickly as they can so there's you know, a bit more flexibility, a bit more room to move as we approach the finals. And, gee, you'd hate, you know, you'd hate the finals to be compromised too much, but clearly they're going to be compromised again. I mean, we're not going to, we're we're simply not going to have a grand final at the MCG in front of 100,000 people. That is not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, You know, so I guess it's a reminder too when you see stories like the fact that this is costing AFL footy, $6 million a week. 
you know, the long-term ramifications of this are going to be felt for years, not just for the duration of, of the pandemic. And, you know, who knows how long that's going to be. I mean, you know, unless they can hurry up and get people vaccinated and that's a bit of a thorny issue at the moment too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not convinced things will be right by the time Brisbane hosts the Olympics. No, well, that's, yeah, I know it's, it's a hard to sort of forecast into into that far ahead, but it's it's certainly... As a as a follower and a supporter of a team that hasn't tasted success well in in my lifetime, and and just even we were chatting about this with Simo, my co-host last week, and just even sort of thinking, you know, imagine just say for instance we get get through to the big dance and, and Melbourne members can't attend, it would just be heartbreaking. I know it's probably a little bit selfish in that sense, and we're talking about safety here, but but purely from a footy perspective, regardless of who makes it, and as you said, the finals will obviously be compromised. There's no way that there's going to be full capacity. Well, you can you can rule out Sydney as being a destination there. They're they're in a lot of trouble at the moment for for the next few months, and it's yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And whether they decide to bring that sort of pre-finals by forward, and as you mentioned, like halt the season for a week, it'd be interesting to see whether that's something that they're entertaining. And or do you know are they do you know if the AFL are actually entertaining that possibility? I think it's a last resort. You know, like I said, they're just you know I know there's. Well, what have we got left? Uh, six rounds, is it? So 40, you know, there's 50-odd games left to play. The more of them they can play sooner than later, the better the chances of having a bit of wriggle room, you know, if things get worse. So, um, oh, look, they're certainly talking about it, but I think it's very much a last resort. I think whilst they can play games, they will, which is why you're going to see, you're probably going to see more and more situations like, happened with GWS in Sydney last week where you had key players from each side unable to play because they'd been in exposure sites. So, um, you know, it's tough on the players too. And I must admit, you know, even while we're talking about it, I'm just thinking about the grand final. And, you know, I've got to say from a selfish point of view, I was heartbroken last year because it was the first grand final I had missed being at since I was um, six years old. I'd been to... Yeah, wow. Every every grand final since 1973, and um, I, I didn't get to it last year. I mean, yeah, look, I could have yeah. if I'd been if I'd been prepared to stay in a hub for however long it was. Yeah, I that's right. Could have two weeks thought. there, two weeks back. There's a, there's I a month I just, gone. Yeah, I, I couldn't justify it. So that was no. the first one I missed since um, since I was seven years old, and uh, you know, there's a, who knows, might end up missing two. But um, yeah. I'd still rather. We have one, and I miss out rather than not have one at all. So let's keep our fingers crossed. That's right. That's right. And I think, well, it has been. I think it's a fantastic thing that we've, as we sort of mentioned earlier, that it's been able to keep going because you know, it, it's it's really something to sort of keep us entertained and keep us, I suppose, our minds off the the big thing. It's a pretty good distraction at the moment. If, if we didn't have footy, I mean, it's it's great that Tokyo's just started, and we can we can kind of tune into that. But I think, yeah, without footy. Uh, for those people, the vast majority of Australians that, that do follow it, without it, it would be, yeah, probably a little bit worse for where I'd, I'd imagine. But I want to, I don't want to keep it too long, so I want to want to move on to the D's and be interested to sort of think about your your take on the D's this season. So we're currently sitting first with thirteen three and and the one draw as well too, which has given us a handy two point. Like to know your thoughts on sort of where where what you've seen from Melbourne this year and. And what you rate our chances are potentially going away all the way if if you do or, or not? Oh, look, it's been a great season. Um, you know, I certainly 
didn't envisage them being on top of the ladder. In fact, I, yeah, I, I didn't put them in my top eight. Um, I've been dining out on the fact I put Sydney in my top eight, you know, on a, a, a bit of a hunch, but, you know, who knows how they're going to finish up. Oh, look, they've been, they've been terrific, really. And um, I guess when I thought about them pre-season, I thought, well, where are they at? Because 2018 was so impressive and then 2019 was so dismal. And last year was sort of somewhere in between, wasn't it? And I, you, I must admit, I did start thinking 2018 is <clears throat> a bit of a, a flash in the pan. I, I sort of feel like um, they've clearly had improvement from within. I, I think I sort of feel like a couple of little tweaks have made a big difference. Like they've always been a pretty good contestable team. You know, they've always been a strong team midfield. I guess the knock was, wasn't it, that, that you know, they were a bit slow, um, lacked a bit on the outside and probably a side that really didn't, was very inefficient with how it used the ball, you know, their inside 50 rate compared to scores from inside 50 is shocking, you know. So yeah. um, I, I guess, you know, it's all easy to say in hindsight, but I guess the key has been developing a bit more outside run. So I think Ed Langdon's been a huge bonus for them and uh, gee he's been impressive and then you've had you've had guys like Jaden Hunt sort of coming back to his best so that gives him a bit more league speed Uh, Cosie Pickett in the forward lines giving him that sort of defensive forward 50 pressure that they lacked Tom McDonald obviously again you know I mean, sometimes it's not rocket science. You know, a couple of those players I've mentioned had sort of gone missing for a couple of years. They returned to form, and lo and behold, you, you're a good side again. Um, the back the back line is outstanding. You know, it, it really is. I mean, May and Lever are just a fantastic duo in terms of not only negating but intercepting. You've got the, you know, the rebound of of, um, of Hunt and, and Hibbert and Salem, Salem's ball use. Um, then you've got that midfield, uh, you know, great strong uh, in and under types. Um, maybe maybe they could do still with a little more sort of dash in that centre square combination. But I mean, Langdon gives them that on the outside. Um, if I if I still have any reservations, it's probably only with that forward setup because they haven't really nailed that support key forward for um, McDonald, have they? And no, no. To that not, end, not to that end, I think you know Ben Brown. The last couple of weeks, so I've, I've seen a few things there that make me think. Well, he's he's probably the man, isn't he? He's certainly in pole position to take that role ahead of Sam Wiedemann. I, I think, think it's really yeah. important. I think so. I think they, you know, they gave Weedham a, a shot at it, and unfortunately, um, whilst he competes strongly, and that's that's something that he's always done around the contest and brought the ball to ground. I think just the conversion under the scoreboard uh, wasn't quite there, and I think it was, I think it was three goals in five games or something along those lines. And and I think Ben Brown, especially the game against Port Adelaide, I thought competed really well and had a really positive impact. The way that Melbourne sort of switched and I think the way that they looked to go inside 50 after the first quarter against Hawthorne was a little bit concerning. Just they start, I, personally, I, I saw that they stopped looking for players uh, for forwards running into space and they were kicking to packs almost, you know, 100% of the time and, and looking for those players to run on and we might have scored three or four goals out of it, but it, it really, the scoring sort of really dried up and I think 
you're, you're certainly spot on there in terms of the, it's something they're still working out. It's it's certainly our it's our Achilles heel at the moment in terms of our scoring. The first nine rounds, well, I think we managed to to do with uh, Fritch and McDonald. We managed to with them, and I think we were probably a little bit unpredictable. The sides weren't quite sure maybe how to match up on us, and we managed to score pretty well. But sort of after that, and this whole probably the last six weeks of footy where it's uh, well been clearly. Uh, reported in the media and it's been clear to the eye that there's been a bit of a drop-off in terms of their energy and, and, and their form's been certainly up and down. But you hope that these next few games, they really want to cement what their forward line looks like going into September because it's, uh, we, as you mentioned, our defence is, is super strong. We know that that side of our, our game is, is huge and uh, that's going to be fine during finals, but it's, we've still got to be able to put up a winning score uh, we've seen that in our games that we've struggled against GWS and uh, and against Collingwood, but that when we can't score the ball, it's it's all well and good to defend. But if we can't kick a winning score, then that's not going to help us come September. I probably need um, one of the things I felt they had in their favour in 2018 was that sort of um, group of mid-sized goal kickers, guys who could play midfield but could also rest down forward and kick goals. You know, like Jake Melksham did that really well in 2018. Maybe they haven't, I don't know, I mean, without even, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I sort of feel like maybe, you know, someone like Fritch has emerged and he's sort of doing that job. Maybe they might be better served by getting a few more of those midfield types hitting the scoreboard a bit more regularly because, you know, one thing that happens in finals is, and and grand finals particularly, you know, you your plan A doesn't always work, you know, and, and your predictable avenues to goal can get shut down. And, you know, it, it'll be guys that um, that bob up sort of out of the blue and are able to kick goals and end up being huge, um, you know, huge bonuses for you. I know this is really poor timing, but the name that just popped into my head was Paul Barnard in the 2000 grand final against <laughs> Melbourne, where he, you know, Essendon couldn't, was having trouble converting and Paul Barno comes on, kicks four goals, you know, guys like that. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, what a, a Glenn Freeborn for North Melbourne in 1996. Jeez, I'm going back, aren't I? But, <laughs> you know, to, to have that, that sort of range of goal kicking options, I think is pretty important. So um, I don't know what Petrarca's goal kicking is like this year compared to 2018, but, be good if guys like him could sort of start getting a few more, I think. We've been talking about in the last couple of weeks about how managing our star players and, and resting them forward could be an option. We've certainly done that in the past and we sort of saw the damage that he did against Port Adelaide with those three goals. But I think you're right. It's He's probably the first one that comes to mind in terms of those mid-size um, you know, centres and, and, and forward options that can potentially bob up. But we also, goal kicking hasn't been a strength of, it, of ours and it's been pretty evident the last few weeks. And We've had the opportunities, I think, you know, even Brayshaw, Cosy Pickett, um, Charlie Spargo, whilst they get opportunities in the forward line, we're not not converting and not capitalising on those, which has been a di- bit disappointing. And it was pretty telling on the weekend where we had yeah a number of chances uh, against Hawthorne to, to sort of make it at least a two-kick lead. And unfortunately, we couldn't get there. But I think someone of the ilk, like, as you said, Melksham, but even Clayton Oliver is somebody that I know personally I would love to see. He can... Is, really damaging up forward in terms of being able to lead and, and take a great contested mark, but his, his kicking is just something that he needs to work on because he's another one that could easily, 
once he adds, you know, one to two goals a game, as a bow in his, his, in his quiver, he's going to become even more damaging. And that's something that would elevate him to the next status to, you know, he's already such an amazing player. But uh, yeah, hopefully, as you said, when our forward line isn't firing, we do have some other options that we can go to because plan A, as you said, isn't always going to go to plan when teams are lining up to defend against you. Well, the Western Bulldogs, I think, are a good example of making that work. I mean, they they do have an unusually large group of midfielders, but it seems to me like a lot of them are pretty capable of kicking goals. You know, Bontempelli, obviously, but a guy like Dunkley, you know, we haven't seen him this year. We're not going to see him for a few weeks again, but, yeah. um, you know, he can kick goals. Uh, Adam Trelaw, you know, when he returns, he's a guy who can kick goals. Um, Bailey Smith, he kicks goals. So that's certainly something the doggies have in their favour. Actually, you know, just given that they're playing on Saturday, it's going to be interesting to see whether how big a difference that particular asset does make for them. It will, and I hope that, uh, yeah, hope that the D's have been practicing their goal kicking all week because it's certainly something that, as I mentioned, has uh, left little to be desired. So hopefully that we can, yeah, shore up that because it was a pretty convincing win against them earlier in the season. But it could be two different, two very different sides. It'll be interesting to see how we bounce back from that game last week because we talk about draws, and I know Clarko was pretty good at, and you know, listening to Clarko and listening to Goody uh, after after the game on the weekend. It was, yeah, one, one coach talking about a win as such and one coach talking about a loss. And I really enjoyed what you what you wrote about the draw and I completely agree with you that I think that we do need to keep it for a regular season. I think it's it's nostalgic and it's something that, that just is a part of our game. But I completely agree that when it comes to the decisiveness of a grand final, then, yeah, that, that I understand. But I think... Um, yeah, coming from from what they said on on the weekend, I, I, I think that a draw is is something. It would have been extremely bizarre to be there, having absolutely no crowd there, and <laughs> I can imagine the eerie silence that they that they felt. But I still don't believe that it's a reason that they need to scrap it. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I wonder if the eerie silence that already was there became even more eerie. There was no one there to really comment on that, was there? But I No, mean, that's right. Worth, <laughs> worth noting, it's now the second crowdless draw at the MCG we've had after Collingwood and Richmond last year. Oh, yeah. look, that thing about the draw, I get tired of it. That's just another sort of, um, you know, footy media sort of clickbait hot topic, <laughs> hot button issue, you know, the same people bob up with the same stuff. Um, you know, you don't. I mean, a, a draw is a result and yeah. it's, it's part of a result in a bigger picture, which is accruing match points as part of a premiership season ladder. So, Well, we would have uh, dropped to fourth, I think, if we, I think, if we, if we, if we'd lost. We yeah, would have yeah. dropped to fourth. So there no, you go. I'm mean, still that, on top of the ladder and yeah. get a lot of Melbourne supporters and, and myself on the night. I suppose I was pretty annoyed, but, you know, we're, everyone was up in arms after the draw and, and treating it like a loss, really. But at the end of the day, sort of if you wake up the next morning like, oh, shit, you know, could be a handy two points. And as you mentioned, could be as good as a win, honestly, when it comes down to uh, ladder placement at the end, even though home venues might might not play a role or as much of a role this year, depending on what the situation is COVID-wise. But... Certainly something that I think, yeah, it's 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 part of our game and I don't think that it needs to be changed. Um, looking just quickly before we finish up, the run home. So I, I think you look at the current top four at the moment. So Melbourne, Dogs, Geelong and Port Adelaide. So Melbourne, we've got Bulldogs, Gold Coast, West Coast, Adelaide and Geelong 
to finish off. And then you look at the dogs, and they're obviously playing us, Adelaide, Essendon, Hawthorne, and Port Adelaide. Geelong have got Richmond, North Melbourne, GWS, St Kilda, and then us. And then Port Adelaide have got uh, Collingwood, GWS, Adelaide, Carlton, and Western Bulldogs. And I know I'm missing Sydney there, and I think they're somebody that we've got to be wary of as well too. But I'm looking at ours, Western Bulldogs, Gold Coast, West Coast Eagles, Adelaide, and Geelong. I mean, I'd like to pencil in two or three out of those five to win, but I think the game against the Dogs and the game against Geelong is going to be really telling going into yeah September and, and each of those top four teams have, have, have got I think they're playing almost a top four side on be interesting to see whether that's sort of set or whether we see Port Adelaide fall away yeah look I've, I've someone asked me earlier today you know who can win it um I've been really reluctant to jump off Richmond because I just think their best is still better than anyone else's but Dusty Martin not being there, I think it just about clinches it really. I mean, it's just going to be so hard for them without him from the bottom half of the eight. So, um, Port, I must admit, I've got, I've got my reservations about Port. They've just been chronically unable to beat the sides above them. So, I think they're at about their level. You know, they're good enough to deal with most of the sides in the comp, but not the yeah. top handful. Um, Geelong, Clearly, very, very well placed given the amount of experience and their consistency. Um, and then you've got Melbourne and the Dogs, who, you know, in some ways, I feel like Melbourne and the Dogs are a bit similar in some ways. They're both, you know, they're still reasonably young sides. Um, a lot of players with not much finals experience. Um, you know, the Bulldogs, obviously, 2016. But aside from that, it's sort of been a couple of elimination finals and that's it, isn't it? Melbourne, you've got that one campaign of three finals in, in 2018. So um, both of them are certainly going to be at a disadvantage to Geelong for experience. My feeling about Geelong is if Geelong controls the ball and controls the tempo of a game, they inevitably win. They do it brilliantly. But... I think Melbourne and the, both Melbourne and the Bulldogs have got genuine claims to being able to deal with that. I, I think if either the Demons or the Doggies sort of get a game on their terms, I think the Cats will be in trouble because I don't think they've got the league speed to go with them. I think that's the real issue for them. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. But, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're asking me for a grand final matchup and you haven't, I'm just giving you one. <laughs> no, um, it was coming, but that's all right. Let's get to it now. <laughs> well, right, right now, I'd be tipping Geelong against either Melbourne or the Western Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, from a purist point of view, you know, with no, no emotional investment or whatever, uh, I'd love to see Melbourne Bulldogs grand final be great. You know, two sort of new faces in a in a grand final. That said, I, I quite like the Cats. I quite like everyone really. You know, yep. one thing about football journalism is people say, oh, he hates this. And I know there's a lot of – I've seen comments from Melbourne supporters say, oh, Connolly hates Melbourne. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't hate anyone, really. I mean, they're all um, – you, you sort of grow out of that, uh, hopefully, by the time you're an adult. But um, from a novelty perspective, I think a Melbourne Bulldogs grand final would be terrific. If it was Melbourne and Geelong, you know, you'd have the – that old sort of, um, you know, the old uh, establishment sort of clubs playing yeah, off, which I think have its appeal. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, no, 
I've got a lot of time for Melbourne. I know a lot of Melbourne supporters. It's clearly been tough. I always think one of, one of the toughest aspects of being a Melbourne supporter, even of my age, is that, you know, look, for quite a period there in the late 80s and early 90s, they were a really successful club, played finals yeah. regularly, um, had some really good players. But they've just been really unfortunate. The two grand finals that they've made since the last premiership have been against arguably the two best sides in the history yeah. of the game. <laughs> Absolute <It's> juggernauts. So, <laughs> um, you know, and fun, funnily enough, I don't know why, there's a guy on YouTube that has put up all the old grand finals in high definition and he's done highlights packages of them. So I've been, I'm a YouTube nut, you know. I've been sitting there watching all these old grand finals for about the 500th time. And I, I did happen to watch 88 again because I, it's one of those ones because it was so lopsided, you don't tend to um, watch it again. Yeah, so I did, about, sit, yeah. I did sit through it and I just remember looking at Hawthorne and thinking, well, they had some great sides in that era, but they were never stronger than they were in 1988. They were just unbeatable. So, And Melbourne came up from the elimination final that year. Whoever they ran into was going to get spanked, you know, and then Essendon 2000, a side that lost one game all yeah. year. So <laughs> they're on a hiding to nothing both times, really. So That's right. I hope they have a bit more luck if they do get there this year. Yeah, no, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I mean, as you mentioned, I don't think anyone sort of forecasted this sort of success at the at the moment, and it's been an absolute uh, well roller coaster of a season so far. But I, th- I know there's a lot of Melbourne supporters out there, very very excited and and looking forward to seeing yeah what the end of the season produces as well too. And, and fingers crossed that we can we can get there and at least witness it as well too. But as you said on Geelong, thinking about who they're getting back as well too. You know you got Jeremy Cameron who's sort of in line to come back for finals, and Mitch Duncan's a pretty important. Um, part of their side that potentially might be missing. He, he may not be back. So there's a couple of mainstays there. But I was just thinking about what you said about getting the games on, on your term. And I know that when we played against them, it was pretty comprehensive, but they're not the same side now as what they were then. It would be a pretty interesting challenge. And I think that round, that last round uh, of the home and away season against them is going to be, I think, a, a really good measuring stick for the days about where they're at. You know, I, I was talking about the 1988 grand final. I'm constantly feeling my age these days and things keep reminding you how old you are. And just talking about the Cats, there's been one this year that has made me feel incredibly old, and that's um, young Max Holmes, who, you know, he's played oh, he's played a handful of games now. Well, Max is a, a local. I'm in East Malvern, and Max is a, a local kid here who went to school, primary school, with my son. Yeah. And um, I sort of watched him grow up, you know. I used to see the two of them kicking the footy in the front yard. And uh, I'll never forget saying to Max's mum, you know, this kid's going to play AFL footy, you know, and sort of having a laugh about it. Well, here he is playing AFL footy. And it's sort of like you watch these kids grow up and now they're they're adults playing in senior company. Boy, that makes you feel old. (laughs) Yeah, I could could imagine. But it must be, uh, yeah, pretty pretty satisfying and, and, and... And uh, yeah, pretty entertaining to to watch somebody go from, you know, as I said, see rise rise through the ranks and and make it at the big stages. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing as well too. But Rowan, we'll wrap it up there, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed the chat, and and yeah, all our listeners and I'm sure and and myself are really grateful for you coming on and and listening to your insights and your expertise because it's uh yeah, as you said, been in the game a long time, seen a lot of footy, and it's really interesting to hear your take on 
on, on not only the D's, but I suppose the, the race of September that is as well. And as we're dealing with the footy season, well, the last two years haven't been like any other one that we've seen. So there's a range of different factors that are that are certainly ranging there. But no, I really appreciate your time, mate. And uh, all the best with Footyology and make sure all our listeners there get out there and give it a check out and check out the podcast and, and their live stream, The Final Siren. Is that Friday nights only, is it? Or is it? it- no, it's Friday nights, yeah. yeah. Um, usually yeah, around 10.45, live stream on Twitter and Facebook. Um, yeah, it'll be different this week because the game's uh, an earlier start time. But ge- generally speaking about... 15, 20 minutes after the finish of the Friday night game. Um, no, look, pleasure. Uh, enjoyed the chat. And uh, if I can give a message to Melbourne supporters, uh, the very best of luck. And I, I really mean it. I do. You know, I think when you watch a lot of footy, you do get tired of seeing the same old teams there year after year. And um, it's always a great story when a club that has won a flag for such a long time, you know, even I haven't been alive during Melbourne Premiership. That's how long it's been, um, amazingly. So uh, it'd be great to see, and uh, I think it'd be fantastic. So um, best of luck. I hope it pans out favourably for them. Thank you, mate. We we certainly we we're all we're all holding our breath for that. So no, really appreciate it. All right, take care, mate. Thank you very much. No worries.